turn to Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15. 5.15, Proverbs 5. Proverbs 5.15 to 19. Drink waters out of thy own cistern, and running waters out of thy own well. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad, and rivers of waters in the streets. Let them be only thy own, and not strangers with thee. Let thy fountain be blessed, and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as a loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breasts satisfy thee at all times, and be thou ravished always with her love. Amen. But today we continue with our study on what the Bible teaches us regarding the duties of husbands. These verses from Proverbs are excellent to teach husbands and then wives what duties we have one to another. Beginning with the husband. Not only what duties, but also how you husbands and future husbands are how you are to interact with and be towards your own wives and future wives. And so husbands, first off, what we learn here is that you can only have one wife. Self-evident in our culture, but not so much in many others. And wives, you are to only have one husband. And first, verse 15 is pretty clear about having just that one that we are to delight in. Husbands, you are to delight in your wife. Wife, you are to delight in your husband. We are to be totally satisfied with our own wives as thirst is quenched by water. And there's a promise here, verse 16 and, uh, through 18, that if we conduct ourselves in a godly manner towards our own wife, our fountains will be dispersed abroad and blessed. But that disbursement is ours, not for any other stranger. Some of what this means is that the blessing of our home, that our home life, will overflow and be noticeable to those outside of our home. And some of you may know of a couple they have been married for such a long time that you yourself would like to imitate them. That you see them as an example for your own marriage. Why? Because of what it says here in Proverbs. Their fountains have been blessed. Their waters overflow. And so husbands who have overflowing blessings where your cup runneth over or the waters of your fountain run as rivers in the streets, it begins with you. You set the tone, the leadership, and the example of the godliness of your home with how you interact with and treat your wife. And let me pause for a second to say, if you want to interact, if you have questions or comments, this is a lecture, not a sermon, or a Bible study, not a sermon, so raise your hands if you want to say anything. 
Now, husbands, you have authority over your wife. And as I've said many times, this authority does not mean or is not defined by harshness, by being cold toward her, nor is your authority like one of a taskmaster. Do not take on the bad or sinful traits of your manager at work and come home and apply them to your wife. That's not how you're to deal with her. That will be a disaster. Instead, the husband is to be tender and respectful towards his wife, to care for her and her needs. And it will be hoped that the wife reciprocates and does not take advantage of her husband thinking is a sign of weakness. Because then the result will be fighting and sinful neglect. Husbands, your duty towards your wife is to then be affectionate inwardly, meaning the affections that you have of her, of her in your mind, in your heart, and then affectionate towards her outwardly. Your eyes and your heart should be fixed on your own wife and no other woman. And when you see her, as verse 19 states, she should be your pleasure. And your heart should leap when you see her. Most newlyweds are still in the state of mind. Maybe not all, but most newlyweds tend to be in the state of mind. Their, their hearts leap when they come home to see their wife. Those who have been married more than five years, you sometimes allow complacency and familiarity to kind of tone down their affections. You starting, now you see all the warts in one another, right? All the so-called faults. And, and maybe you're, maybe, you're not leaping anymore to see him or her, but a hop, and that's about it. And that hop just then turns into walking over there and saying, hi, honey, good to see you today. Right? No, but we should rekindle that flame every time we believe the warmth of the flame is going away. Trim the wick. Restart the flame. So you should do. And here's some suggestions, husbands, for this. If you feel the warmth of that flame has died down, and you need to trim that wick, get that oil going, so that flame could come back, here's a suggestion. Ask for help from others to babysit your children if you have children, so that you can have some alone time with your wife. And if it is in your means, take her out. Wine and dine her again. Go someplace else, stay the night, just the two of you. Or do something more simple, like leave her short little notes throughout the house, hidden where she'll find them, where you express your affection towards her. Wives, do that to your husband. 
Maybe you prepare his sandwich and you leave him a little note in there. Maybe something more basic than that. Husbands, when your wife has something to tell you, be silent and actually listen to her. Look into her eyes. And I know this is going to sound corny. But look into her eyes and be mesmerized by her voice as you were when you first began to pursue her prior to marriage. Now, most of you guys probably won't admit this, but you long to talk to your wife over the phone to hear her voice. Well, look for ways to get back to that. And, and verse 19 isn't just for newlyweds. It is to be lifelong. And it's, just, and it's more than just intimate satisfaction, if you get my meaning. It's the little things. And it's not always going to be like this. Sure, as time goes on, you will get on one another's nerves. It's going to happen. You're you're going to sin against one another. You're going to have difficult times in your marriage. There will be conflict. But we are to seek to repent and to reconcile those conflicts as soon as you can. Husbands, wives, you guys should meditate on this passage in Proverbs 5, 15 through 19 constantly. Just to see what it's saying. To remind you of how you should be interacting with one another. And then fathers, when you read verse 20, you are to then teach and train your sons and your daughters not to be like that. And verse 20 says this, And why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman and embrace the bosom of a stranger? And let that be a warning to you, husbands, as well. Because verse 21 says, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. His own iniquity shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. He shall die without instruction. And in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. Fathers, teach your children to be affectionate towards a future wife. And only to keep it for their wife. Husbands, let this be a warning. You may figure out the best way how to hide your adulterous affair relationship from your wife, the Lord sees it. He ponders everything. Your sins will bind you and you will be destroyed. Meditate on verse 19. Keep verse 19 in your head, in your heart. And if you want verse 18 to be the reality in your own life, then you will rejoice with your wife. You will rejoice in your wife. Husbands, seek to have ongoing fellowship with your wife. Let your conversations with her be not just business, 
just about household chores, raising the children, how the day went, and then that's it for the conversation. Go beyond that. Your wife is not just your, she is not your coworker. She is not just a mere friend. She is your intimate. She is your help me. She is the bones of your bones and the flesh of your flesh. And this does not diminish your authority, husbands. If you do these things appropriately, your authority will be fortified. Nor should your wife use any of your affection towards, you, towards her against you. Because there are some wives that will use affection against their husbands to trade for favors. Some of you know what I mean. And that is wicked. Many examples from Scripture. There are many examples from Scripture where the husband dotes on his wife and favors her in many ways. And the marriage is enriched where her fountains are blessed. Isaac found, was comforted by his new wife, Rebecca, at the death of his mom. The entire Song of Solomon speaks of how the husband, being Christ, pursues his bride, dotes on her, speaks in finding his satisfaction in her. You see Christ pursuing his wife, but his authority is never diminished, but rather enhanced. Again, this fellowship and being with one's wife is not all business. You can even play together to enhance your fellowship. And we see this in Genesis 26.8. We read of this very thing. Isaac was sporting with Rebekah, his wife. That's Genesis 26.8. Isaac was sporting with Rebekah, his wife. They were playing together. Now, there's also a reverence to be had from the wife to the husband. The wife should respect the husband's final decisions and in leading the house. The wife is to give her husband the prominence and allow herself to be guided and led by him. Just as our own heads, and all of you have a head, lead and guide our own bodies, we husbands are to lead and guide our own wives with the same care we are to have towards our own bodies. But even better, because guys, let's admit it, we can do a better job caring for our own bodies. We can do a better job caring for our own bodies, right? And I know right now our wives are thinking, yep, amen, say it again. And some of you wives may be thinking, Wow, pastor, if he cares for me the way he cares for his body, I'm scared. I'm in trouble. Husbands, take note of that. We are to love them as we are to love ourselves. That's what the scripture says. And how many times has your wife said, I don't think you love me because you're not caring for yourself. Or is thinking it. 
If you do not care for your own selves, husbands, single people, then you are committing a sixth commandment violation. That shall not kill. By not preserving your bodies as you should. Single people, single men especially, take note, you need to care for yourself. Because that will be a reflection how you're going to care for your future wife. That's a witness in itself. And a witness to your wife on how you care for yourself. And let me reiterate, let's not be Gnostics regarding our bodies. We are called from the Word of God to care for our bodies, to nurture our bodies, to take care of our bodies. Nowhere is that condemned. The body is not evil. The body is not wicked. It is not. Many times Christians conflate body with flesh. When they say, oh, the flesh is wicked, they interpret that as the body. No, that's wrong. The flesh is the carnal desires, the sinful desires of the, that we have from our sinful nature. That we are to mortify. The flesh is what we are to put to death. But our bodies, we are called to care and protect our bodies. Our bodies are so important that on that last day, when Jesus Christ descends from heaven with the voice of the archangel, with the sound of the trumpet, you know what's going to happen? All of our bodies will be resurrected and reunited with our souls. Because then will we be a complete person in all eternity. So husbands, love your wife as you are called to love your body. Husbands, do not be cold, do not be strict, do not be stoic towards your wife. Take pleasure in and with her. Be cheerful towards her. Demonstrate joy to her. Be respectful towards her. These are all godly traits to exhibit. Single men, these are traits that you need to either learn if you are not exhibiting them or to improve them. Fathers, train your sons to be the same. Within the boundaries of parent and child relationship, cultivate this. They are to learn to respect you, to love you, and know how to play with you. Understanding a boundary. And we towards them, we are to establish this boundary, but teach them how to do it. And as they get older, you then teach them as their capability is on how these traits are to be employed with their future wife. And if you have sons and daughters, teach your son how to interact with their sisters and sisters with their brothers. And so, husbands, when you exhibit these traits to your wife, she will not feel a burden in being your wife. The temptations for her to be over you should lessen and diminish 
or at least convict her when she tries to usurp your authority. Her love and respect is to grow towards you. But that love and respect is watered by your love towards her, your nurture towards her. You are to water that. And so, wives, I want to warn you not to see these biblical traits as a sign of weakness or of his abdicating his authority over you for you then, for then for you to take the lead. Don't do that. Beware that you do not usurp Christ-given authority in your husband to then take that from him. Because then you will be a burden to him. And then these affections that you long for will be cold. They will go away. They will shrink up. Your desire should be that your husband loves you and takes delight in you. That your fountains be blessed. That you be as verse 19 states. Let her be as a loving hind and pleasant, pleasant roe. Wise, that's what you should aim to be. A, a loving hind and a pleasant roe. And if you ever seen those animals, how full of joy they are, that is, then you understand, you understand this even more. But verse 19 goes on. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times. And, and wives, that should be part of your relationship with your husband. And be thou ravished also, always with her love. And so, and this is in a, in a good sense being communicated here. That you, that you, sh- that you husband, should be ravished with her love, which means that she's loving you. And there's nothing wrong here from the scriptures in saying what it says. Your husband should take delight in you, even in intimacy. And husbands in the world of hypersensuality, guard your hearts and your eyes. Protect your affections that they may be only directed toward your wife. She may not look today as she did on your Wedding night. Let me tell you something else about that, that comparison. Nor do you. You don't look like you on your wedding night. Right? We all change as we grow. But your love towards her should remain as verse 19 states. Don't let others take your eyes from your wife. And what you need to do as well is to protect your wife for ungodly affections by being there for her. And single people who hope to be married one day, take heed of these traits. Examine yourself. Do I have indications of these traits in me? And if you don't, seek to cultivate them. Learn from husbands who are good godly examples towards their wife on how to cultivate those traits. And you will know who they are. You will know those godly husbands if verse 16 is a reality in their home. 
where it says, let thy fountains be dispersed abroad and rivers of waters in the streets. Because there is godliness in that relationship cannot be contained in that home that bursts out and floods the streets. The people will know. And single ladies, single ladies, you too are to examine yourselves and learn from godly wives on how to be a future godly wife. You are to learn from godly women on what it means to be submitted to your husband and not usurp their authority. Okay? How to take care of your future husband. That is something you are to pursue as well. And so, short little study on these duties. I just don't want to belabor too long, but I want interaction. What do you guys think? Any questions, thoughts, comments, concerns? Miano? You sure? Uh huh. I think it's a beautiful thing that they even talk about this in this Proverbs, you know, yeah. uh, the comparison to the dough and, you know, it's just a beautiful passage. Yeah, it is. What'd you say? Yeah. It's a beautiful passage that, that the Proverbs in speak in this way. Yeah. Any questions? Okay, so let me pose a question to you. Okay, Colin. She's volunteering to babysit. <laughs> <laughs> we would love to babysit for any of you guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to be choked. <laughs> you what? I said I was going to say the same thing, but I wasn't going to be choked. Oh. <laughs> yeah. We, when we were young, we, there was times that we longed to have babysitters, but we couldn't. And it was needed. You know, we had people tell, you know, elders even say, you guys need date nights. You need someone to take care of your children. We're like, yeah, we do. Do you know anybody? <laughs> You know, it, it, and so, you know, as you get further along in your marriage, take advantage of that. Don't be afraid. I mean, I know there's a lot of crazy things happening in the church and things like that. I get it with our children. I mean, you got to be wise about it as well. Who are you going to ask to babysit and all that stuff, right? But don't let that fear keep you from going out on a date night. And if maybe you can't even afford a date night, at least... Go out and walk at the park or somewhere and just be it you and your wife. Go for a slice of pizza or something. Just you and your wife. But it's good for your marriage, especially when you have children. Because our children tend to distract us a lot. Right? Who else had a question? I, I thought I saw a hand go up. Okay, so I'm going to pose a question to you. This is a hard one, okay? I want you to answer me. I'm not going to answer it. I want you to answer me. What I explained today, and if you can remember what I explained the last time when we talked on duties of husbands, where does this fall under? What category? Egalitarian, complementarian, or patriarch? Yes. <laughs> huh? Complementarian? Okay. Patriarch? Okay. Yeah, see, I don't even like the terms because of the baggage they come with. Because I think right. that, like, 
from a technical perspective, would be considered patriarchy. The people think of uh, patriarchy. Like they, yeah, they think of when they think of patriarchy, they think of um, the hyper patriarchy movement right. that we see. Yep. Where like the father is a priest over his family. Doug Wilson, correct? Yeah. So, but then same thing with complementarianism. It's like, I don't necessarily like that term because the way that people use it a lot of times is really odd. Like, like for example, they would say, oh, it's, you know, the husband and wife are different but equal. But, you know, scripture says things that don't really fit that model. I don't know. Yeah. I, like those, I don't like the terms. Like, like yeah, like they're equal. But they have different roles. Equal, yeah, I but, would say but, like, yeah, I would say equal in value and worth, but right. like having different roles means that somebody is going to be considered lesser in one way, and that's right. not bad. Yeah, there's a, there's a genuine difference between a male and a female, other than just roles. Right. Yeah. But the difference is complement one another. Yes. Yeah. Good. So there is baggage in these terms, right? And then of course. With media today, it just accentuates those, those, that baggage. And, and then, you know, some people hear patriarch and they think tyranny. Some people think complementarian. And the other side will say, oh, you know, you don't know how to be a man. And then, of course, then there's egalitarian. And, and then that's just wrong, wrong right? <laughs> <laughs> and so... Right? And so, this is why I pose you the question. Is this patriarch, complementarian, or egalitarian? And so, when we look at the scriptures, you see Isaac and Rebekah, they're playing together. You see Abraham and Sarah. And you see Abraham sometimes does some dumb things with his wife. Like, stupid things with his wife. We all know that, right? But he also loves her. And honors her. Is that patriarchy? Right? It is, right? But not as today's modern right-wing, ultra-conservative movement defines it. It's a difference, right? And so, and, and the reason why I ask this question to you, one, is to get you guys talking. But also, I want you to think about this. As, we go, as we've been going through this study. If you're trying to categorize this stuff as, oh, is this patriarch, is this complementarian, or is this egalitarian, be careful. It's just like when we talk about some of you men will know what I'm saying. Are you a theonomist? Man, that's a, that's a loaded question because there's so much baggage in the word theonomy. And I think the same happens in these three words, especially patriarchy. So from a biblical perspective... The scriptures teaches patriarchy. It does. But don't define what the scriptures teach regarding patriarchy with what out there teaches. What your political, whatever political persuasion you may have, don't let that politic define these terms for you. Because I'll tell you what, the majority of Republicans and, and um, I, don't, I don't know what else, other parties are out there, constitutional party, all these other parties that are right wing, they redefine patriarchy in a way that's not healthy nor biblical. And then you got men like Doug Wilson. 
that totally just skew it. Okay? So just be ca careful all that stuff. So yes. how would you define patriarchy, and what is the difference between patriarchy and complementarianism? Yeah. Who wants to take on that question? What is patriarchy, and how is it different from complementarian and egalitarian? Okay, Colin. You were going to say something? Complementarian is um, uh, where you, you have the male and the female, and uh, there's like really no difference between them except for what they do in, yeah. in the family. Right? Oh, yeah. right? But there's no difference. They're the same, mm -hmm. right? Whereas I think uh, patriarchal, the biblical view, is there's a ontological difference. Mm -hmm. between the male and the female and uh, the male is the head of the household yeah. so that would be the difference between patriarchal and complementarian okay. but, but, but like we were saying there's complementarianism in patriarchy mm -hmm. biblical patriarchy right, good, James? yes I agree with that too where the man is the head of the household he's the authority in the house mm -hmm. under Christ's authority right and but, but at the same time, the differences between the male and female are something Right, right. They become one for one flesh. Yep. Colin? I think also, from what we're going to say, I've heard some people saying that the reason that the husband is the head of the wife is because of Paul, as opposed to by God's design. And I think that can be a danger because then we. Then we get away from the differences between man and woman and husband and wife is part of nature and God's design and more, oh, well, that's just because of the fall. So really, that's where We're I... We're supposed to be. Yeah, right. I've heard some people say that, like, you know, before the fall or in eternity, you know, men and women will be functionally equal when that's doesn't it doesn't fit with what Scripture says about it. In the begin from the beginning it was not so Um, 
what I've seen growing up in the evangelical church, you know, because they're real big on like complementarianism is kind of the rule, you know. You go to a marriage conference, that's like kind of what they teach and talk about. And but really is what that is 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 it really downplays the authority of the husband, the head of the house. And I don't know if part of that is, you know, like it talks about in Genesis where we're talking about like where God like ordered the house when Eve was created. Um, uh, if it's, you know, where, you know, because there is a, a, a sinful tendency, like desire, like he says, like you'll, you'll desire your husband's authority. So I don't know if it's like part of that and then also part of like trying to get away from like, you know, and also men are la- men can be lazy and there's a tendency yeah. for us to be lazy and our wives want to, can want to take over and do, you know, take our authority. And so some men will abdicate to their wives and so then this view like really pushes that you know oh yeah we're, we're equal and it really kind of feeds you know both the late in, in a bad way it feeds like the laziness of men to not do their duty as their head of their house and their authority and feeds to you know uh, a woman who might want to, to you know supersede her husband's authority in, in a bad way like that mm-hmm. um, as opposed to being complimentary, like the idea, the name of it says, like complementarianism, it actually is like the opposite. It's actually like role swap is what most, comp- yeah. from my experience, what a lot of like complementarianism, and that's because it talks, like where Ramon said, there, there is no ontological, for a lot of complementarians, there's no ontological difference. It's just we're equal, we have different jobs, so like it doesn't matter if like functionally, you know, the wife is the head of the house because she makes all the decisions everywhere and, you know, like, it doesn't matter to, you know, to complementarians. Anyways, that's kind of my experience with, like, growing up and, like, seeing different, you know, right, like, different, you know, marriage-like curriculum things, you know, growing up in evangelical church. That's kind of what the end, the end stage for, like, complementarianism, if you get away from, like, you know, biblical, that it can go, like, bad, it can go like the opposite, and then right. it just does, and then there are consequences, you know, for that, like I just, you know, growing up, like seeing families that were like kind of flip-flopped like that, and like, you know, kids don't have, you know, that, they end up, you know, going off in whatever, whichever direction, because their house was out of order, and they didn't yeah. have, you know, yep. you know, whatever, anyways. Yeah, good, good.